Today, I bring you episode 346, and it features what you love most, Zig Ziglar on stage. The title is, You Must See More in Yourself. We'll listen in, then Tom Ziglar and I, Kevin Meller, will break it down for you. And folks, there's no one on the planet who is immune to needing this message today. I mean, it's impossible. We're all victims of our own narrow views of ourselves and limitations. Some have drastic limitations. Some have mild, albeit subversive, erosions that handicap their efforts. So this show will be an effort to recognize that you and I invariably need to expand desperately our views of ourselves. That's the message Zig is bringing to us. This show is brought to you in part by Zip Recruiter. If you have a business or company where you are hiring anyone, you need to use Zip Recruiter. Zip Recruiter posts to 100 plus job sites with one single click and instantly matches your need to qualified candidates from over 6 million resumes. So today you can try Zip Recruiter for free by going to ziprecruiter.com slash Ziggler. That's ziprecruiter.com slash Ziggler. Friends, welcome to the Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and it is my unique privilege to bring today's profound message to you. The Ziggler Show is founded on what Zig Ziggler, the world's most prolific motivator, devoted his life to, inspiring your true performance. You can have the best tools, uh, resources, and even opportunity, but unless you are truly inspired, you'll be hopeful but remain where you are. What is the definition of inspired? Listen to this. To influence or animate with an idea or purpose. Did you hear that? Animate with a purpose. If you want to take action, you have to know and be motivated by true purpose. That's deep, folks, and it is why you are here. Let's dig in and change your world so you can change this world. We need all you've got to offer desperately. In the last show, I gave a call out already to Christmas. So late last night, I finalized the Ziggler Christmas packages. Last year, we put together some packages that were such an unprecedented value. We had record sales, literally. I don't think we can top it every year, but this year we have, seriously. So as you look forward to your Christmas shopping list and the people whose lives you really want to help get better, this will be your best opportunity ever, I think. Just rest at ease. We'll open the door soon, and you can gift those you love with life-giving resources at honestly incredibly uh, low prices and great savings. So today we're going to listen to 13 minutes of Zig, and we get into our personal blindness and narrow vision for ourselves. Folks, I've been in the personal and business development world most of my life. Business development doesn't add up to much, doesn't happen much until you have relevant personal development. And any aspect of personal development is pretty much hijacked if you aren't clear on the vision you have of yourself, how you see yourself. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, you could do a lot even amongst your handicap, but you will always be a bit hamstrung, always dragging an anchor. I mean, anxiety and frustration and anger, those are just some of the results of not having the peace you can have when you're clear on how you see yourself. And I know well, I've been plenty victimized by my own narrow view of me. And I shouldn't say that past tense. I am today. I am on this journey with you every step of the way. Few people ever dig in here, dig into this topic. It's not nearly as fun as just, you know, seven steps to accomplish whatever, which is why people scurry about to this resource and that resource, but generally just consume info and don't change a whole lot. That's not you though. You're here for change, meaning and purpose and legacy. Otherwise you'd be listening to a different show, some surface entertainment or info, but you are here to suck the marrow out of life. Yes. Can I, can I get an amen from anybody out there? We'll get one from Tom Ziegler here in just a minute. Before we get into the clip, I want to say hello to mile IQ. If you drive at all and are self-employed or an independent contractor or your employer reimburses or helps subsidize your travel expenses, this is for you. If you aren't using mile IQ, it's almost guaranteed you're throwing away money and none of us want to do that. Mile IQ automatically tracks and logs your miles, making sure that every dollar is accounted for, uh, leaving you to focus on what's important. I should know I use the thing myself. So try Mile IQ for free today by texting ZIG, Z-I-G, to 
31996. Okay. That's text Zig to this number, 31996. My co-host Tom Ziegler has been out for a couple shows, and uh, we've also missed a couple Ziegler weekly team gatherings, so I need a quick catch-up. So, Tom, i got two questions before we dive into the depths of personal development right here. So, number one, what's on your mind regarding your own personal growth and journey as of late? And number two, possibly a more important question, as we both share a love of great food and cooking, what's the best thing you've made recently? All right, go. Well, I'll tell you, we'll start with the important one, which is the food. Uh, recently, I've made what I call simple salmon. Uh, you know, I love to grill. Yep. Uh, but I decided to take this into the oven, so I put foil down. I put salmon on, and one of my friends, Ken Warren, he's one of our Ziegler Legacy certified trainers. Uh, he also has a barbecue thing. He has his own uh, barbecue rub and uh, called Big Papa's, I believe. Nice. And so I took some of that barbecue rub, and I just sprinkled it on the salmon, and then I put some Parmesan uh, cheese on top of that, put it in the oven, bake it at 350. My salmon pieces aren't real big, so I kind of watch it, and when it kind of bubbles around the edge, then I get it. Oh, and I have a secret. I put some coconut uh, oil on top. Really? Boy, that just... Keeps it light and fluffy and fresh, and of course, coconut oil is good for you. So that's my that's my foodie secret of the day. I like it. Personal development wise, my personal growth journey. Well, I'm getting deep in it right now because I have uh, I'm knee deep in creating a new program called Live to Win: uh-huh. Seven Weeks to Balanced Success. And I think people on the podcast have heard me say my quote as of late, which is the fastest way to success is to replace bad habits with good habits. And so I've been putting together that series. I'm doing my first uh, webinar on that coming up, but it's kind of a closed private group. I'm, I'm practicing, I'm learning, I'm developing this content. So I've been really focusing on our mental input, what we put into our mind, you know, those kind of things. And the one tidbit I learned this morning as I was researching is that uh, a lot of people, the psychologists, the people who study this, when we're growing up, we actually, some people say, we get 50 negative inputs for every positive input. Wow. So think about how limiting that is, the view of ourselves that we have. And you think, well, that can't be, but then just imagine you're a parent and you've got a two-year-old. I mean, what do you tell them all day long? No, no. No, yeah, yeah. right? And so when that when you start thinking about that kind of stuff, and that's why I love what we teach because once we understand the direction that we've been giving and how that limits us, then we can start seeking out the right kind of information that takes us to the next level. Wow. Well, that's a perfect prelude to our topic uh, today. Yeah, man. Okay. Well, you know what? We'll just dive in because uh, anything I would say at this point is going to come right through in what we're about to go over. So on that note, here we go. We're going to dive into listening to your dad, Tom Zig himself on stage. I think it's about 13 minutes and then you and I will break it down. Here we go. 1989 in December, the redhead and I walked into Prestonwood Shopping Center. That's her favorite center. If you recall from an earlier recording, uh, that's where she made the all-mall team for eight years in a row and last year made MVP as most valuable purchaser. Well, we walked into the uh, little eyeglasses place. I needed some glasses and a very energetic, enthusiastic young man came up and offered charity. He said, may I help you? Uh, Well, I was grateful for help. I said to him, yes, I need some of those glare-proof glasses. He said, oh, he said, are you a photographer? Uh, I said, no, I I never got involved in photography because of all of the negatives. Uh, He he said, uh, well, he he said, are you a producer? And I said, no, I'm a speaker. And he said, well, what do you speak on? And I said, well, motivation, positive thinking, leadership, I do a lot of family seminars, courtship after marriage, raising positive kids in a negative world. Do a lot in sales training, goal setting, and that sort of thing. And he he brightened up noticeably. He said, oh, kind of like Zig Ziglar. (laughs) 
and, I, and I said, well, well sort of. <laughs> and, and the redhead uh, pointed her finger at me and she said, this is Zig Ziglar. Well, was a very cool young man. He backed up a couple of feet, looked me over pretty good, and he started shaking his head. He said, oh, no. Oh, no. He said, I've seen videotapes of Zig Ziglar, and Zig Ziglar is always jumping up and down. He said, no, this is not Zig Ziglar. So I said to the redhead, you see there, sweetheart, I told you we weren't going to be able to fool this young man. He's probably looking for some 40 or 50-year-old codger, and he sees us two youngsters walk in, and uh, he looks me over real good, and he knows I could never be Zig Ziglar. And the young man kind of nodded his head and said, yep, that's right. Well, we went ahead with the transaction. He got ready to do the paperwork. He picked up his pen, uh, and he said, now, what is your name? And I said, well, I spell it Z-I-G-L-A-R. He, he literally dropped his pen on the counter. He said, you are Zig Ziglar. I said, yeah, I have been a long time. <laughs> now, I, I want to make a very important point. The young man had a picture of me in his mind. And as far as that picture went... It was okay because on occasion I do jump up and down uh, and I do get kind of loud and exuberant and enthusiastic. But the reality is the picture he had of me was so narrow and so shallow that it bore no resemblance to who I am and what I can do. I have found that to be very, very true of people. I do a lot of reading, a lot of research. And what I have found is that most people have a picture of themselves which is so narrow and so shallow that it bears no resemblance to who they are and what they can do. Most people have no earthly idea as to what they can do because all they've ever been told is what they cannot do. According to psychologist Chad Hemstetter, the average 16-year-old has been told 17,000 times, no, or you can't do that. Now, you tell a youngster 17,000 times they can't do something, and the first thing you know, they will begin to believe it. The picture is so incredibly important. Now, most people have no earthly idea, therefore, what they can do because they don't know who they are. They do not know what they really want out of life because they do not know what's available for them. Now, for them is the key. They can readily see where you could do it and you could do it and you could do it and you could do it, but poor little old me, I could never do those things. And so what we want to work at is is changing the picture so that we can recognize just what is inside of us. To repeat myself again, man was designed for accomplishment. That's you. Engineered for success and endowed with the seeds of greatness. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. In an earlier recording, I talked about the fact that there are some things you can't measure. You can't measure the heart. You can measure the IQ. One of the reasons I talk to both the head and the heart is because I like to get to your intelligence logically But even more importantly, I'd like to get to you emotionally because we cannot measure that hard. And inside of us, there is so much. But the picture is the key. The picture I had of myself uh, always was I'm a little guy from a little town who will struggle all of his life. When I was 17 years old, getting ready to go off uh, to the Navy back in the big war, World War II. Some of you have heard about it. It's been in all the papers. I was, uh, I was getting ready to leave, and my plans was to go off to war and then come back and literally to open a meat market in Yazoo City, Mississippi. That's the image, that's the picture that I had of myself. I never saw myself as having to have government assistance, but I saw myself as the little guy from the little town who would struggle all of his life. As a youngster, I was very small, and I did have that inferiority complex. That's exhibited now in those days. That's what they call today. You know, they call it poor self-image and what have you. But the emphasis simply was that I could not do these things. The picture's important. I well remember one time one of my children came home with a terrible report card. You know, I was kind of chastising a little bit about it. And one of them uh, said to me, I'm not going to identify which one it is. I would kind of embarrass him. 
But a uh, big smile came out of this particular child's uh, face and said, well, Dad, let me ask you, do you think this is heredity or environment? <laughs> and, and, you know, there, there, there's something that can be said uh, for both. Now, my environment as a youngster was a depression environment. Survival was the issue of the day. Many of you, as you listen to this tape, are in a survival mode. We want to move from survival first to stability. And from stability to success and from success to significance, that is the purpose. But that's going to take growth. And growth is a lifetime prospect. Now I want to differentiate between personal growth and self-fulfillment. Self-fulfillment is that part of life that says, Hooray for me, to heck with you. I'm going to win through intimidation if I have to, but I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to look out for number one. Self-fulfillment is that individual, and I can perhaps represent them or epitomize them uh, in the world of athletics. It's the individual who becomes a bodybuilder. Now, please understand that there are exceptions to every rule, and I want that to be made clear. But the typical bodybuilder spends an awful lot of time building those muscles. And then an inordinate amount of time getting in front of the mirror and admiring uh, their handiwork. But they're not altogether selfish. I mean, uh, many of them will put on an undershirt and walk down Main Street so that we too can admire what they have done. Uh, They will even come in the restaurant where we are eating and just kind of casually sit there, uh, you know, in that Charles Atlas pose so we can admire. Now, let me say it again. That's not always the case. For example, Randy Webster is a trainer and a bodybuilder. He works with my son and did work with my daughter-in-law. He is genuinely interested in taking what he knows about bodybuilding and teaching somebody else. There's your difference. Now, that's personal growth. That's the individual. That's the teacher who learns things for the purpose of teaching. Self-fulfillment is the student who learns things so he or she can parade their knowledge. Maybe someday they'll get invited to appear on Jeopardy and they can answer all of those questions and then the world will admire them for their incredible insights and wisdom. Now, let me emphasize uh, on this that when you... When you get into these things, then you begin to think in terms of, I'm not the only uh, fish in the pond. There are others, and I need to live with, work with, encourage other people. That is so important. The way you go up in life is not just on your own efforts, but by what you can persuade others to do and teach others to do. You yourself have been helped by many people on many occasions. You walk in my office today and on the wall, you will see my wall of gratitude. There are 19 people there who've had an impact on my life. And there are people, if you're honest and really reflect on it, you've had a lot of people that have helped you in your life for you to move up. Like this old boy down home says, anytime you see a turtle on a fence post, you can rest assured that sucker didn't get there by himself. I mean, he had some help along the way. Well, what are, the, uh, what are the benefits of team play? Two of my favorite coaches are Joe Paterno at Penn State and Lou Holtz at Notre Dame. Now, in those two schools, as far as I know, they're the only two major schools which do not put the names of the players on the jacket. They go by numbers. And, and so that big uh, defensive tackle has a number, as does the outstanding quarterback, have a number. They function as a team. Well, we all know the team success of those two teams. And you might say, well, now that's pretty good for the team. As a matter of fact, that's real good for the team uh, to sacrifice yourself. Joe Paterno, for example, if one of his guys, a wide receiver, a running back, a fullback, uh, runs for a touchdown uh, and does all those hysteromics or hysterics or whatever they are, they call them, uh, in the end zone, you know, throwing the ball up in the stands or throwing it over the goalpost or, or doing some of those silly dances, He might as well just head for the bench because he is now officially out of the game. Paterno requires that they simply 
hand the ball to one of the officials, run back to the huddle and say, congratulations, fellas, every last one of you did your job. And so the team was able to score. Now, what impact does this have on the individual? Well, you check the records in the NFL and you will discover that for many years, both Notre Dame and Penn State have been at the top or real close to the top, certainly within the top five of the teams that send players to the NFL. You see, you got to have the individual talent and ability, but you need to function in there as part of the team. I can tell you that one uh, sour apple in a company can have a tremendously detrimental effect on the rest of the team. And so this team play, this concept becomes extraordinarily important. Now, as this personal growth concept unfolds, uh, let me tell you, first of all, it is a lifetime concept. 58% of all of the people in our society when they finish their formal education, never read another meaningful book. On the contrary, those who make who's who read an average of 20 books a year. At the end of five years, one has read 100 books, gotten incredible additional information, stayed current and up to date, and is in a growth mode. And when you're growing, you check your attitude. When you're learning things, that's when you are most excited. In companies where they teach concepts and philosophies and people are growing, their rate of turnover is dramatically less than those who do not. Now, Fortune Magazine ran an article, Merkin Company, which for nine years was voted the number one company, most desirable place in America to work. Uh, what they discovered was it cost them one and one half years salary to replace a worker, to run the recruitment ads, and to train them, bring them up to speed. Year and a half salary every time a trained, productive individual left. So you see, growth is important for the company and it's important for the individual. So Zig tells the story of the guy in the shoe store, which is a great reason to thank and introduce everyone to Trunk Club. Folks, I I really, really don't like shopping for clothes. Uh, I don't have the patience to search for clothes, try them on, and I also always wonder what the heck is in style. So Trunk Club solves it all. They provide you with a personal stylist. Uh, They then choose clothes from the best premium brands and you approve what you like. Then they ship you a trunk of clothes that fit perfectly and make you look like a million bucks with the latest styles. So you get the trunk literally on your doorstep, just like I did. You try them on for your wife, at least in my case. That's what I did. You keep what you like. You send the rest back. It's not a subscription service. You only pay for the clothes you keep from your trunk. No hidden charges, just great clothes. It's really cool. So right now, their entire styling service is free and the shipping is free. You only pay for the clothes you keep. So take advantage by going now to trunkclub.com slash Ziggler. That's trunkclub.com slash Ziggler for a trunk filled with clothes you're going to love wearing. So regarding Zig's shoe salesman story here, I mean, the guy didn't believe that uh, he was Zig Ziglar because his picture, as Zig says, his picture was so narrow and so shallow it bore no resemblance to what I am and what I can do. So Zig goes on to say, most people have a picture of themselves that's so narrow, so shallow, it bears no resemblance to who they are and what they can do. Most people have no idea what they can do because they, just as you related a second ago, Tom, because they've been told, all they've been told is what they cannot do. Uh, Don't do that. And, And you're not capable of that. Most people don't know what they can do because they don't know who they are. So folks, we're going to take this captive right now. I mean, I think our natural tendency is to hear this and frame it around negative thinking, which is is the case sometimes. But my experience is often it's not all about negative thinking. Sometimes it's just ignorance. It's it's a void. I mean, I like the word ignorant uh, personally. It doesn't mean you're stupid. It means uh, simply you're lacking knowledge or information. And I'm incredibly ignorant in lots of areas, multitudes. That's okay. I'm really smart and, and hopefully maybe even brilliant in a couple areas. I'm, I'm hoping. But regarding our personal view of ourselves, many of us have about as much experience being able to see ourselves clearly and with a very broad and deep view as we have speaking Swahili. I mean, it's not our fault. It doesn't mean we had uh, poor upbringing or abusive or incompetent parents. It just means we only know about ourselves what we know 
And there's so much we don't. So our charge and responsibility today is to expand our understanding and therefore abilities of ourselves, about ourselves. So Tom, I mean, in all truth, do you find many people ever who didn't go do a significant amount of work to get past some narrow views of themselves? (laughs) I mean, quite honestly, if you look at any of the great success stories out there, None of them are overnight. All of them failed multiple times, and they usually have the common thread of a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, uh, one interesting side note is we were certifying a group of our coaches. So through our certification, we certify coaches, and I want to share with everybody kind of a coaching model because you don't have to have – it's great to have a coach, but you don't have to have a coach to understand this model. What we do in our class is we ask our coaches – arrange these three words in the sequence you think they need to happen in order for somebody to have a breakthrough. Hmm. And the reason we say that is because I believe strongly there really is a sequence to success. And so here are the three words, optimism, systems, and creativity. And so we actually have a little chart and we put those three words and there's actually six possible sequences that they could go in, right? And so when you're listening, I want you to think to yourself, okay, if I'm going to have a breakthrough, which one of those words comes first? Is it systems? I mean, do I I look at the problems I'm having and I try to figure out the system that I'm using that's not working and I change the system? Or do I go to creativity and go, you know what, the reason reason I'm stuck, the reason that I'm not doing as well as I should is is because – I'm just not creative enough. I mean, I need to go outside. I need to get the sun on my face. I just let my mind flow. Or do you think, you know what? I I need to work first on optimism because, you know, after all, if I'm optimistic, then things are bound to improve, right? Mm -hmm. Well, here's the reality and here's the science. It all starts with optimism. You see our brain, and once again, my nerd's coming out, research this morning, as a matter of fact, reading studies on this. When we are fearful, when we go into fear mode, that's you've heard it, right? Fight or flight. There's mm-hmm. only two things. Literally, all the doors close when we're negative. When we're afraid, when we're negative, the doors of opportunity are slammed shut. But when we have faith or we have a great attitude, then all the doors open, which unleashes our creativity. And so we first need to have the input that gets our attitude going in the right direction. Then that unleashes our creativity. Dad said over and over again, be a lifelong learner. And then when we have creativity, now we can combine the optimism with the creativity and we can change the system that we've been doing. And one of my quotes that I coined last week is that a system is just a business habit, Hmm. right? So Hmm. when we think of systems, we think of business. When we think of habits, we think of people, So if I want to change my personal system, what I'm really talking about is changing my own personal habits. And that won't happen until I have the attitude of positivity that unleashes my creativity, that allows me to find the habit that's going to be that key that flips my, you know, my disappointment, my lack of results into the life that I want to have. I just wrote that down. I have a business partner. I'm going to send that to as soon as we're done with the show here. Cause if I try multitasking, I'll forget what we're doing. Uh, that's significant. That, that's significant, Tom. I mean, you know, I'm involved in, in, in a handful of things. One right now, that is what we did. Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering, were we optimistic enough? I hope so. But we did get to creativity <laughs> and now we're doing systems. I mean, that's really great, but a system is just a business habit. That's, that's what it is. That's significant. That's right. Significant. And and dad, you know, when you listen to the stuff, he actually, he puts a word in front of these three words and that's called hope. Oh. So once you have hope, then that creates the foundation for optimism, right? If we don't have hope, it's pretty hard to have a good attitude, isn't it? And you know what? I And I actually wrote, because you gave us optimism, optimism, systems, creativity. I put the numbers, you know, the order in there. I just put hope as zero, ground zero. So there we ground go. Ground zero, foundational, then optimism, then creativity, uh-huh. and then the system or the habit. That's a, there's a business book right there. There's your next book after the one you need to get out now. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's, let's talk, let's go further into this, into this uh, message. Talk a bit about risk, limits, and failure. 
uh, in knowing ourselves, I mean, we need to stretch ourselves. We need to test ourselves. As a culture, we're seeing the deficits brought on by not being encouraged and allowed to test the limits and push the envelopes. And we have a growing cultural trend of very, very sheltered, confined, and safe people. We aren't allowed to go to our limits and experience the highs of achievement and the lows of failure in the normal you know, system of our culture. We're bred to fit into a system. And I, I really, I don't, I don't say that to come off as a conspiracy theorist in that sense. It's just, you know, it's what we've done to manage people and business and, and, and have a system created for maintenance, not necessarily glory. So we, all of us listening, we have to step outside of the norm. That's why we're all here. So I have a passel of kids in running races right now. And in all these races, they are all winners, right? They all get a ribbon. And, uh, uh, gosh, what was the, the interview we did recently? Tom, was it with uh, Brenda Smith? And she talked about that. You get a trophy for breathing. I, you know, I, so I'm going with my kids. And, of course, I'm prodding them to do well, to, to, to just progress, uh, if nothing else. So they post the results with every kid listed in alphabetical order with no times listed. So my kids ask, how do I do? And we can't really tell. We can't track their results or weekly progress, not by, you know, the results of this big, big races that we're going to. And I'm wondering, what does this teach? And so we know the outcome. We're seeing that, Tom, here in that daily. Corporations today are, are suffering from this exact same thing. They cite the struggle of having young workers coming in who can't handle failure and actually having to be accountable for their results in the real world. And, you know, I was thinking, Tom, maybe I want my kids knowing from the start uh, about winning and losing and success and failure. And what do I want from that? I want strong and resilient kids who can adapt and rise above challenges. And that does take trials. So let's look, it brought me back to look and let's look at sports and athleticism. I mean, nearly everyone listening to this show will have either played sports or they watch some sport today. And we all understand you train and practice and work out to get better. And by, and you do this by daily working to make progress. And in nearly every sport, you're practicing to failure. To build muscle and endurance and strength, you work out to failure, and you're breaking yourself down. And I, I, f- I think, folks, this was brought to me as a professional cyclist. Uh, somebody said, you know, Kevin, when you're out there training, today's sprint day, tomorrow's endurance day, today's hill climbing, you're making yourself weaker. That exercise is making yourself weaker. You're breaking yourself down. You get stronger later when you're eating and sleeping and, and resting and I, again, that's not what we think about when you work out or go to the gym or you're on the field, you're working to break yourself down. And in that moment, you are making yourself weaker. You're pushing yourself to failure so that you will build back stronger. So seriously, I mean, that concept, working out makes you weaker. What makes you stronger is recovery, eating to replenish, uh, sleeping to replenish. This is when you get stronger. So today, I bet in the past 24 hours, we've all eaten, we've all slept, but did we break ourselves down so we could build back stronger? I mean, doing the work of understanding yourself as part of breaking yourself down so you can grow stronger. So, Tom, I mean, there's plenty of commentary. We all see it you know, today on the value of being able to fail, uh, being okay with failure on the journey to success. And we, we've heard that. But on this aspect of breaking ourselves down, I mean, what if we give that focus for a second? It, it's a different perspective. Forget failure for a minute, and let's just talk about the reality of growing stronger Am I right in thinking that this only happens first by breaking ourselves down? And, and I'm going to surprise you with this question, Tom. Uh, we talked about this on a previous show. You and I talked about it around the campfire with my family long ago when you said what was one of the, the, the key strengths, uh, the brilliance of Zig, and it, it was that he was a broken man. So I'll bring that into this as well. So I kind of hit you with two questions, though. But that aspect of... It, it, you thinking that getting stronger only happens by breaking ourselves down first? Well, I think you put in there something that's critical, and that's recovery. Uh, mm. Right now, there is an epidemic of injuries in collegiate sports. And what they are connecting it to is the college athlete is breaking themselves down in preparation. Yeah. And they're going back to their room. And it used to be lights out at 9 or 10 or whenever, and people would go to sleep. Now they stay on their phone. Uh, texting and and playing games, and they're not getting the sleep. And so what happens is the physiology isn't there. Their cells can't go in and repair. Their muscles can't recover. They're not getting the nutrition they need. They're not getting the rest that they need, and they're getting injured the next day. And so when we talk about, you know, going down life's journey, not being afraid to fail, I think part of that is 
yeah, we need to try new things. We need to do things, but we need to spend time to recover. And when I talk about recovery, I'm talking about the psychological, the mental aspect of it. Right. In other words, if we put in a new system, a new habit, a new idea, we try something, we venture into unknown territory, and we fail, well, what's our recovery response to that? There should be two things. Number one is every day I'm taking time to input new positive, new powerful, new information into my system so that I can overcome you know, because nobody likes a negative result, right? I need to have that recovery thing that's that's overwhelming that. And number two is I got to look at it as data. And of course, everybody's heard that before. You know, failure is not really failure if you learn from it. Right. So if I fail, if I fail wisely, if I fail smartly, if I reinvest in myself and recover, and I learn from it, then I'm not really failing. Now, Dad's uh, spirit of brokenness. I mean, his ultimate. His ultimate uh, charismatic humility from the front of the room came from this very simple concept. You see, he tried very hard on his own to do it all, right? And there was a point in his life when he realized, when he was broken in debt, he realized that he would never be able to achieve anything of eternal significance without God's help. Mm. And so because of that realization... He never tried to be God. He always said, you know what? I'm just going to do the best I can in all humility, and I'm going to tell people what I've learned. I'm going to show my mistakes. I'm, I'm going to show them the things that I've put in play that have really worked. And because of that, his transparency, uh, his humility, all the things that people loved about Dad, it just came through on stage because they would look at him and they go, man, this guy's real. Yeah, I, I want to know more about him. And he realized that his value to the creator had nothing to do with how good or bad a job he did. It had everything to do with his obedience and his preparation, right? And that's the secret with our kids yeah. is, you know, it's great to say, boy, you're smart and, you know, I'm glad you run, you know, you won the race. But some kids are just born smarter than the others and some kids are born faster than the other. If you constantly you know, praise them for something they have no control over, then you're setting up a, uh, you know, it's going to be a disaster at some point in their life because they're going to run up against somebody who is smarter, somebody who is faster, and they're not going to know what to do. If instead you praise them for how hard they prepare, Mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. much time they spend, how much effort they put into it, then they win the race, whether they come in first or 10th. It doesn't matter if they've given it all they've got. One of Dad's quotes is this. He said, success is not what you do compared to someone else. Success is what you do with the abilities that God gave you. And that is the proper approach to this, is if we're given it 100%, then when we fail and we make a mistake, no big deal. Because we can learn from that. We can go back to the well. We can put the right information in, and then we can go at it again. Okay, and, and I'm going to call out to that 100%, to give 100%. And, and I would say, in accordance to what Zig talked about here, in using the gifts, the abilities that God has given you. That's the question for us today. Are we doing that? And if we are, we are going to experience some failure. And, you know, Tom, I had somebody uh, tell me years ago, and it's always stuck. They said, would God ever call you to something that did not absolutely require him in order to achieve it. And I thought, man, that's a, that's a bane of, of my, of my own is seeing is, is, is honestly, I would say I authentically seek the Lord. And I have so often heard, seen, discerned his calling and a vision for me. And I've gone after it unabashedly gone after it and left him behind. (laughs) <laughs> that and that that's and and so for you to talk about that man it just continues to speak to me because it's still a journey i'm on for me to stop wait upon the lord in that to to invite him in as opposed to saying, no i got it and then i find myself of course later as things get uh, difficult as i'm trying to do it on my own going come on god where are you now well i you know that was my own volition here so hearing you say that is significant um so hey, in this going further into this message, Zig says people don't know what they want out of life because they don't know what is available for them. And then this is what I'm going to key in uh, for a second with us. 
They see where others can do it, but not themselves. So I want to ask you about something, but real quick, I want to recognize Concordia University of Wisconsin as a sponsor of today's Ziegler show. So these folks believe that people are the main drivers of success and are devoted to training them up, just like we're committed to at Ziegler. So they offer a 100% online master's degree in organizational leadership that can be completed in as little as a year. It's an alternative to an MBA that focuses on people and culture. And what's best, it's rooted in Christian ethics and biblical principles. So businesses need leaders who are able to inspire and motivate others to reach new levels of accomplishment. Concordia University of Wisconsin's online programs are specifically designed to help their students keep their life in balance. So they offer unparalleled, individualized support and an online learning experience that encourages lifelong connections with your peers. So visit them at this address, online dot c u w dot e d u slash ziggler for more information or call eight five five nine seven six four three four three use the offer code ziggler and they'll waive the fifty dollar application fee now back to this aspect of seeing where others can do great things but not ourselves that was intriguing to me tom i mean it's great to be a fan of others obviously to encourage them and sing their praises but i also see people devoting themselves to only being fans of others and never advocating for themselves and striving to elevate their own abilities to to walk out their own giftings and and callings so is it okay is my question to acquiesce all achievement and success in life to others and divest ourselves of it and relegate oneself, oneself in essence, to being a lifetime spectator. So I looked up the word vicarious, right? We all know that word. And the definition is felt or enjoyed through imagined participation in the experience of others. So Tom, culturally right now, and you see a lot, I mean, are we at risk of being fans of someone winning on the field and abnegating our own place on the field? Is it okay to be a spectator and never a player? What are your thoughts? That that sounds like a pretty easy question. Uh, Is it ever okay to be a spectator and not a player? Here's the thing is we all have to claim and own our own field. Mm. Like I love watching. There's a statement right there. Right. I love watching uh, football, and uh, every time I watch a game, I thank the good Lord that I don't have to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I admire it. I respect uh-huh. it. I'm amazed by it. The athleticism, but the the pain, the you know all the you know just just the amount of energy and effort that goes into that, and the risk that's involved, and the lifelong injuries that occur. That's not my field, mm-hmm. right? So I can spectate there, yep. uh, but I can't spectate through life. So what I need to do is go claim my field. What is it that I was created for? And then how am I going to step out of that field and own it to, to use the abilities that God gave me? Uh, one of the illustrations I love is, you know, you, you've got to combine what you are passionate about with the skills that you have. And somebody explained it real easy to me, simply. He said, it's like there's this your field, you know, or whatever it is you're designed to do. You want to put both arms around it. And your right arm is your skill. And your left arm is your passion. And in order for it to work for you, both of them have to wrap around whatever it is that you're doing. Some people, they're very skilled in something, but they just, they don't like it. Yeah. And so they're carrying this big load of work around with them all the time with one arm and they keep dropping it. And then I see the other spectrum and that is people have unbelievable passion to do something. And we see this on the voice all the time or, or, you know, uh, you know, just the talent shows and the singing contests, they've got passion for it, but they got no skill. Right. And so they drop it on the skill side. So we, we gotta have, we gotta have both. And if we don't step into it, if we don't address it, then we're missing the greatest gift of all. Yeah. You know, and that's that gift of fulfillment and going back to my nerd research, uh, the most happiest, the most satisfied people in the world are those who make steady progress on a daily basis. And so if you have a general direction to go into, if you know, hey, I've got some talent here and I really like doing it, what if you just set up a simple goal that every day I'm going to spend 15, 20 minutes learning something new in that area 
testing it out on somebody, practicing it, whatever that is, and then your happiness, your, your, your satisfaction level, all that's going to go up because you're going to be making progress on a daily basis. And before you know it, you will be stepping into your field that you own. That statement, Tom, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to keep that one. We all have to claim and own our own field. I see people who are suffering for the lack of understanding that and knowing that and just going through the day by day minutia where, gosh, to, to your last statement there, where there is not steady progress, it's just survival and maintenance. There's seasons for that, but man, when that is your uh, life, that is that's significant. All right, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna veer off our show as we're talking here. I just got a text from my dad, Dan Miller. Uh, so we got an upcoming vi- uh, interview. I'll, I'll I'll let this out of the bag with um, with Ken uh, Ken Coleman. Uh, who is the host of the Entree Leadership. And I was looking at his stuff today, and I saw that he interviewed my dad. So I was listening to his podcast. And so, uh, so there's just a call out, guys. we got some good stuff coming up for you guys here soon with interviews with some great people. So I'll, on my dad's behalf, I'll say hello to everyone out there listening. Thanks. Um, I know we have a lot of crossover listeners there. Well, that steady progress on a daily basis that's significant. You know, one thing, one thought on that before we continue on, Tom, I have seen, you know, with myself, the propensity, and I haven't really thought through this, to feel like I have to make steady progress or I want to in the same thing every day. So it's, you know, it's my work or it's my, my one athletic activity. And what I've found over even recent years, I guess, come to realize is, you know, it doesn't have to be, I can have seasons. I can have seasons where I mountain bike and then I don't for a year because now I'm running, I'm into that and I'm enjoying that progress. I have seasons where I'm uh, building one business and maintaining another one and the maintenance is okay. And, you know, I can start, I can build and it's going to get to a point of maintenance. I can go build something else. Does it have to be in the same thing? And I think we, uh, culturally, just habitually get into a, a rut, a, let's call it a groove. Groove sounds better than a rut because it it's not to paint it as a bad thing. But we get in that and think that that's where we're to be. That's it for, for forever. And it's hard. To, I mean, if anybody's ever worked out, at some point you do plateau. I mean, I, Arnold Schwarzenegger at some point couldn't lift any stronger. You know, I mean, at some point we do plateau. And if that's the case, and yet you're saying, Tom, that we're the happiest people make steady progress on a daily basis. Is it relevant to say, Hey, it doesn't have to be in one area or the same area. There should be new things possibly growing in your life to where you get the chance to make progress, man. I just know that that inspires me. It can be something this month, something new next month, but that progress inspires my life and sure helps me keep out of the, uh, the struggle. I mean, the, 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 the ever near possibility of a, of a depression with just really, this is it just the maintenance and the machine of life. Yeah. You know, uh, as I'm working on the book live to win, uh, and, and I've already said on this show, I love the sequence of success. And so the first fundamental of success is the right kind of input. The second, and that's mental. The second fundamental of success is spiritual, which I put into the character and integrity realm and the, and the story that just fascinates me is that uh, Benjamin Franklin, when he was 20 years old, he woke up one day and he was kind of unhappy with himself. He was rough around the edges. He didn't have discipline. He didn't think he was that good of a communicator. He kind of came across as rough and gruff. I mean, you can read it. Google it. Look up the virtues of Benjamin Franklin. And so what he did is he went on a mission. So for the rest of his life, he studied a virtue for four weeks, and then he went to the next virtue and the next virtue. And he did that, and he repeated them every year. So he had th- I believe he had 13 virtues every year. He studied them each for four weeks. And so what I mean by constant improvement is it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, if I'm an athlete and I'm hitting a golf ball and I'm trying to hit a little straighter every day. I mean, that's worthy objective. I'm talking about in life. What if you just picked your 12 or 13 qualities that you wanted to be known for? Mm-hmm. And you spent 15, 20, 30 minutes a day reading, listening, and learning about that quality so that it became apparent to everybody who was around you, that's you. Yeah. And you just did that on a regular basis. People want to know dad's secret. I mean, that's ultimately what he did. He re- studied and researched three hours a day how to help other people achieve more success. And in the process, some of it rubbed off on him. Yeah. 
Yeah, man, that's that's again that goes back to as we talk about the system that we our culture is in and in school where we are taught good things, but to, to conform to, you know, the, wherever you're weak, let's shore that up. And we don't get the chance to excel. And yet that's what we keep coming back to the need to have those areas where we shine and hone them. Well, so Zig claims in this staunchly in this message, we must change our personal picture. We must change our personal picture. He didn't say with the exception of anyone, including himself. He said, we all must continually change our personal picture. And so those statements, and Tom, I've heard you say them too. Man was designed for accomplishment, engineered for success, endowed with the seeds of greatness. And then he cites, it's actually out of Psalm 139, 14, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So if you hear that, all those personal success claims, and it doesn't resonate, then my question is, what do you believe? I mean, from a faith-based perspective, do you believe God created you to just be filler? That you were just to fulfill a quota of human creation for that particular day? Or you're a worker bee, just existing to be a cog in a machine? And this isn't about standing out and being a superstar. It's, It's not what I'm talking about here. It's just recognizing and believing you have an absolutely vital role unto God. What that role is, and its breadth, is, is, of course, up to you to discern. But Christ doesn't leave room for debate on his claim. He says, I'm the truth and the way. And that's not, a, that's not fair. That does not feel fair. But yet it's the root of, of so much division against him, against Christ. He also doesn't leave room, however, for you to be lukewarm and coast through life. And you know what? I, as I say that, I'm going to say for, for us, for us, he does not leave room for me to be lukewarm and coast through life, just playing it safe and being comfortable and copying out on being just a mere worker bee for the rest of my life. And I'm not saying, again, you have to be a superior leader of the human race. It's not a call out for that. You can be a rock star in a vital support role. I mean, back to the Bible again, there's no judgment or superiority in the body of Christ. Every part's just as vitally as important as the other. So neither I nor anyone else can claim what your greatness is. You can get help in discerning this. I mean, that's a heck of a lot of what we do at Ziggler. You know, that's ZLC, Ziggler Legacy Certifications, to help discern some of these things. What is your greatness? What is your talent? How can you hone that? But I can absolutely claim, just as Zig did, that you were designed for accomplishment. So again, he said, engineered for success, endowed with the seeds seeds of greatness. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Guys, that's just that's just biblical. And we here at Ziggler believe in absolution in that Bible. So Tom, talk to us about this issue of recognizing the glory within ourselves. It's of course, you know, not being prideful and full of ourselves, which I think a lot of people have been burned on when we start talking like this uh, by people who, who were full of themselves. But it's just about recognizing and walking in the glory of being God's creation. Why do you think this is so hard for so many of us to really healthfully embrace? You know, I, I think it's because we we have this wrong assumption that our value is based on what we do instead of who we are. Mm. And I say even more importantly, whose we are. I mean, we're we're created in the image of God. That that's what I believe. Right. You know, Dad, he he said, when our image improves, our performance improves. Study after study, statistic after statistic. I mean, kids that wear uniforms and they look nice, they do better on tests than, than kids who have no standards, right? You, you can watch two teams playing on a, on a, you know, on a, on a kid's soccer field and, and the uniforms that are tucked in and the socks are all in the right place, and you can see the discipline by which they prepare. Chances are, over time, they're going to win yeah. versus the competition that doesn't do that. Yeah. Uh, I was meeting this morning with Scott Erickson, one of our – uh, Ziggler Legacy Trainers, and we were talking about the military, and, and somebody told me this story, and I, and I hope it's true. If, if you're a listener to this and you can verify that this is true, this uh, gentleman went into uh, the Air Force, and as he was being trained and going through boot camp and all the things that you do, everything he had to do, he had to fold at six inches. You know, his cot, he had to fold the, the sheet down at six inches. He had to fold the the blanket down at six inches, he folded the pillowcase under and something there was six inches and, you know, his shoes had to be six inches apart. And after he'd built up, you know, a little bit of uh, endurance and respect and, you know, just in a quiet moment, he asked his, his leader, he said, why do we have to do everything at six inches? It wasn't, it wasn't a threat. It was just a why. Yeah. 
And the leader just said, well, you know, some people come in to the Air Force because someday they want to fly in our elite team, you know, whether it's the Blue Angels or something like that. And he said, we fly wingtip to wingtip, six inches. Wow. You need to know six inches. And so when we look at the intricacy of how we were created, I mean, when we just, when we just look at, you know, the, the mathematical improbability of us just being happenstance, yeah. right, of all the things that come together, we were, I mean, just unbelievable the gifts that we have, the tools that we have, that our heart beats, that our eyes work, that we can walk and stay upright. I mean, all these things that we take for granted. I mean, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we were created in an image. And so life starts to happen, and, and we get those 50 negative inputs for every one. Yeah. And then we think, you know what, if I'm not good enough, and that's the voice that's in our head. And the story we tell ourselves is the story that really determines our potential, right? It's not the latent potential that's in us that determines our potential. It's the story we tell ourselves. And so what we need to do is recognize, my goodness, I mean, I don't care who you are. Would you sell your brain for a million dollars, 10 million, 50 million? No way. I mean, could you be trading your life for that? Your life is worth so much. Well, why not put only pure things into our brain? Why not recognize our brain is you know on this on the scale of creation it's it's maybe the most amazing thing ever why not look at that and say i'm going to develop it and as we change our image our performance improves and here's the logic behind it who wants higher performance i think everybody does i mean why not because if you can perform at a higher level you get better results better results usually equate to certificates of appreciation that have Ben Franklin's face on it. I mean, I'm talking money here, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? So if we get these certificates of appreciation because our performance is excellent, why wouldn't we want to perform? Well, if our performance improves when our image improves, why wouldn't I want to work on my image? Yeah. Right? And really, it's the self-talk that we have. It's the input. And so when we start thinking and focusing on the things we can do, Instead of the things we can't do, that's the first step. There's a quote in the book, see at the top, and it says, we cannot perform in a manner inconsistent with the way we see ourselves. If we see ourselves as a winner, we're going to perform as a winner. If we see ourselves as a loser, we're going to perform as a loser. So the way we perform has to be consistent with the way we see ourselves. The story we tell ourselves, that's the focus of this show. What is that story? Are we even cognizant of it? And that's what Zig is calling us out to understand it and to change it. So he, and this is somewhat of our, of our ending point here. I mean, Zig in this clip gets, gets real as he often does by discussing himself in humility. He discusses the picture we have of ourselves and divulges that he, Zig, had the image of I'm a little guy from a little town who will struggle all his life. That was his story. That he told himself. So if you haven't read his personal story, speaking of that, go to Ziggler.com and buy his autobiography. Folks, uh, uh, Tom's, I don't get a commission on this one, I don't think, do I? Unless we sell enough of them. The autobiography, though, it's just flat out my favorite Zig book. I sometimes feel guilty with, with the you know, incredible resources. Why is that one? It's just because I, I connected. I resonated. And like, as, we, as you know, Tom, you talked to me about it. it. It helped bring the success down to a level that I thought, I, if he can do it, I can do it. And I understand that. And I resonate with that. So, uh, I mean, he had every reason. Zig did probably more than most people listening to discount himself, to be anonymous and mediocre and a victim. I mean, as he says, we want to move. We all want to move from survival to stability, stability to success, success to significance. And I fear that our, again, culturally, and I'm not here to diss the culture. I'm just here to talk to those of us who are listening and want more. We want to go beyond stability. And I think most, a lot of people get stuck right there in stability. We want to go to success and then significance. So this usually comes as we age. I think some do it sooner, some later, Uh, some are a bit schizophrenic. When I looked at that time, I thought, you know what? I think I've always wanted significance, but there were times when I tried to get it while I was still in survival. I I was trying to skip some steps and didn't work. Uh, 
But Zig ends this clip by pointing out 58% of people who finish formal education never read another meaningful book. Successful people read, on average, 20 books per year. Now, I will put in there, because if, folks, if you don't have a big book tally, if you're reading blogs, listening to podcasts, the point is taking in a, an amount of good input, training you, teaching you, though as, as one of our sh- recent shows, you've got to take that and take action on it. Otherwise, it's just positive entertainment. But to go back to the point that the, the people who succeed are doing it, they're doing the things other people don't do. So I want to point something out important and testify to everyone listening to the show right now. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, you are pursuing, if you're listening, teaching and training and breaking yourself down in order to build yourself up. You could be listening right now to nothing. Or you could be listening to music, which I love, nothing against music, but you could be listening to bubblegum for your ears, but you're not. You're here listening to content in order to better your life and from that, better the lives of others. So not to be pithy, but yeah, it makes me think, talk about military, Tom, it makes me think of those military promotions. You're, you're part of the few and the proud of the brave. You are. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disclose something here, folks, not to just exalt this show, which I'm happy to do but to validly recognize that our content here is not bubblegum. So why are you here? Why are you listening? For the past week, we've been so incredibly fortunate to be in the top 60 to 80 podcasts on the planet and the top five or six in the business category, uh, residing around the likes of Dave Ramsey and, and global celebrities. But folks, for disclosure, we're not talking about millions of listeners here. I'd love to tell you that, and maybe we'll get to that point. But to be at the top of the podcast charts, this isn't millions watching it uh, like they do an NFL football game or a popular TV series. It's in the lower hundreds of thousands who are tuning into a show like this. And that makes you listening a minority, a rarity. And I'm asking you to recognize and honor the reality that you are here. You're a minority of humanity that's listening and feels called to do more. You're probably never going to be content unless you do. So honor this truth and reality. So Tom, your dad ended his message in this clip stating that you can measure the IQ, but you can't measure the heart. So while there may be people listening who have high IQs, the spoils historically go to those with the most heart. So you can lack in IQ, physical ability, good looks, heritage, privilege, education, experience, and more. But Tom, is it fair to say that having the most heart is a choice that anyone can make and an opportunity anyone can have? <laughs> yeah. And when I think of heart, I think of a couple of things, uh, you know, in sports, since we've been talking about it, mm-hmm. uh, heart to me equates to hustle. Mm-hmm. You know what? Somebody can out talent me, but if they out hustle me, uh, that's a choice, right? Yeah. I don't have choice over the talent I have, but I have a choice over how much I hustle. The other thing I would say when I think of heart, uh, it's it's a discipline. And so if you were going to create one thing, I, I would just have the discipline to create winning habits. Yeah. And when you look at successful people, that's what they've done. They've taken what they've had and they've created winning habits preparing a little extra reading or listening to specific things, you know, going and asking a certain group of people, what do you think? And just being persistently consistent and upgrading what they do, these winning habits they have. And, you know, dad's winning habit. He was always working on his character and integrity. He was always trying to develop into that kind of person uh, that he wanted to be. And when you do that, when you expand that foundation, then everything comes into play. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a, there's a lot of college professors. There's a lot of out of work geniuses who you talk to them and they intimidate you, and yet they struggle with life. Mm-hmm. And it's because they haven't put the foundation in. Uh, one of the keys. This is a uh, you know I, I have that quote: the fastest way to success is to replace bad habits with good habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another quote I was kind of going along that 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 way. The fastest way to wisdom is to obey the wise. Hmm. Hmm. And someone, I gave that quote to somebody the other day, and they said, that's interesting because the number one word that millennials have a challenge with is obedience. Yeah. And so isn't it interesting that wisdom comes through obedience? And so... Then I say this, 
pride is the enemy of wisdom. And so when you go back to dad's secret of brokenness, as soon as he realized, wait a second, I've been doing it, I've been trying, I'm going to get nowhere, he became broken. His pride was replaced with humility and brokenness. And then wisdom flowed in to where the natural output of his life was wise thinking and behavior. And that's the key is, is, you know, wisdom is not a pithy quote. Wisdom is wise thinking and behavior. And so, boy, we can choose it. And we can choose it. And here's the difference. This is what we all hate as people. A wisdom comes from obeying the wise. In other words, the people who have laid the tracks in front of us, who know the secrets, who've paid the price already, who have the scars to prove it, and they say, you really should do this. And then we think to ourselves, no, 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 no. I got a shortcut. Boy, are we going to pay the price? But if we just obey, if we have that obedience to that, then the doors are opened up. And isn't that, the, isn't that the story of Scripture, right? Yeah. I mean, who's the ultimate? Who's the ultimate wise person in the universe? Solomon. <laughs> Was that the right answer? Yeah, <laughs> you actually stopped and looked at me. Uh, yes, <laughs> or, or God. I mean, the Creator. Right. That's where wisdom flows. Yeah, and Man. He wants us to have it. And it's funny that all He requires for us to have it is obedience. And what's the one thing we hate more than anything? Obedience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you said that, millennials, not, that's not one of my favorite words at all, but I suffered from it. It's all of ours. Yeah. We, none of us like it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you're going you're gonna to do what I say. Well, think about the military units that win the wars. Yeah. They're the ones who they, they follow the orders. Yeah. But they build so much trust in the process that not only do they follow the orders, but they're given permission to use their best judgment when the orders don't make sense anymore. And that's why our military has historically been so strong, Mm -hmm. right? Because not only do we have the best leaders, but our leaders know how to lead and give people the wisdom to make their own decisions when the circumstances change. So we follow the orders, we obey in every situation until we look around and go, hey, New leadership now because yeah. it's a new situation. So I know it's complicated, but it's really not. Well, that's why we got to listen and put it on repeat. Well, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna end us out then by repeating what you said because it's so significant. Heart equates to hustle. Someone can out talent me, but not out hustle me. And when I heard that, Tom, I thought I know there's a lot of people who are bitter uh, towards those maybe coworkers or co. Uh, teammates uh, or, or whatever it may be, people in their life, a sibling who has more talent and they let that embitter them and they don't rise beyond that. And your statement is, yeah, but you can out-hustle them. And we see that. Last week's show, Tom, which uh, uh, we did not do together, and I talked about the movie Rudy, you know, where the guy made uh, had everything going against him and made the team for Notre Dame. He out-hustled. So, folks, who out there... Uh, regardless of where your talent uh, lies and your IQ lies, can you out-hustle? Can you commit? Can you do more work? And uh, our belief here is yes. So thank you so much for tuning in to The Ziggler Show, folks. We can't wait to be back with you in the next show. 